Hello, my name is Declan Deneen. Welcome to Checkpoints. This is a show about video games, the people who play them and the people who make them. Each episode of guests on the show talks about the games that have shaped their life in one way or another. Games that have inspired them, games that have forged connections, and games that have soothed wounds. My guest on today's episode is Gabby Darienzo. Um, Gabby is the co-founder of Laundry Bear Games, the creators of the really excellent um, Mortician's Tale, which is kind of, it's it's like a simulation of a mortician. It's a very sort of death-positive narrative game, um, and it's really brilliant. Like, I talked about it a bit with um, Sarah Elmaleh when she was on the show, um, and it's, yeah, it's, um, obviously I talk about it with, with Gabby, um, it's a really interesting way of approaching death and thinking about death uh, in in a video game form. And it's just something that Gabby is clearly interested in because she's also the host of the Play Dead podcast, which is a podcast where she speaks to fellow developers about the kind of the role of death in video games and how games can be used in interesting ways to deal with things like death and grief and loss uh, in ways that other games, you know, perhaps aren't able to, not other games, even other mediums aren't able to. Um, which, uh, admittedly, saying all that, it sounds like it's super morbid and this will be a super morbid chat. Uh, but that couldn't be further from the truth. This is a really uh, engaging, lively, um, joyful in places discussion. And even though we both talk a lot about death and about the ways death has affected us and the way games have helped or helped us understand or deal or process with various things, um, it's just a very kind of open and honest and frank discussion that, that I, I found like wonderful i really really love chatting with with gabby i think you'll really uh, enjoy it and loads of brilliant game chat and you know she introduced me to a bunch of games i hadn't heard of including nightlight which is one of my new kind of favorite obscure 90s um, bad idea games um it's a really really excellent chat i'm sure you're going to enjoy it and if you do, please do rate and review on iTunes, tell a friend, all those good things. Any way you can help encourage new people to discover the show is uh, greatly appreciated. And if you really like the show, there's a Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash checkpoints. Any and all donations are very gratefully received and go back into making the show as good as it possibly can be. Um, and this is a weird thing. I'm not trying to start a beef with anyone because I'm not the type of guy to start beefs. Uh, but Danny O'Dyer launched the the No Clip podcast this week, and the kind of the subheading is uh, this is a show about uh, games, the people who make them, and the people who play them. I'm pretty sure he doesn't listen to checkpoints, uh, so just you know, it's a gentle a gentle note of gimmick infringement. Um, it's a really good show, by the way. Like I recommend it. All of the No Clip stuff is is excellent. There's actually like there's when I first started doing uh, checkpoints. Uh, one of the reasons I, I wanted to do it is because there wasn't anything else like it uh, at the time. Uh, in, in the sort of three or over three years now I've been doing the show, loads of cool things have popped up, like uh, No Clip, um, and I just saw um, uh, Bratters. I don't even know his real name. I don't even know his Twitter handle. That's terrible. From Eurogamer has just gone off to make a, a similar sort of thing, like long-form video journalism uh, about video games. And the, and yeah, obviously Gabby is is doing the Play Day cast, which is which is amazing and it comes highly recommended. There's loads of great stuff about. Um, it's almost like there's no longer a need for checkpoints. Hmm. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can. You can email. It's checkpoints podcast. Um at gmail.com 
or it's at Checkpoint Show on Twitter or it's Checkpoints Podcast on Facebook. It's very important to have consistent branding. Thanks, as always, for downloading the show and subscribing. Um, Please do rate and review, as I say, on whatever device you use. I'll be back, as always, next week with a new episode and a new guest. But until then, let's get on with the show. Okay, well let's uh, let's 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 start. Let's do a formal sure. introduction. Uh, so sure. for the sake of, of ceremony, uh, Gabby, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. If you don't mind, would you introduce yourself? Yeah, of course. Um, my name is Gabby Darienzo. I'm a Toronto-based independent game developer and one half of Laundry Bear Games. Um, we debuted our first game, A Mortician's Tale, last year, uh, which is a narrative-driven job simulator where you play as a funeral director. Um, and when I'm not making games with Laundry Bear, I also uh, work as a freelance game artist. Most recently, I worked on a couple games uh, like Celeste and Parkitect and Graceful Explosion Machine. And when I'm not making games, I also uh, host and produce my own podcast called The Play Dead Podcast, where I interview game developers on their experiences with death and grief and how they're exploring those topics in their own games. Now, this is like a, a recurring topic in, in your work that I'm interested in. Like, where is the <laughs> the interest in death? Like, yeah, both in the Mortician's <laughs> Tale and in the, the podcast. Yeah, I, I guess it's just <laughs> a thing that kind of carries over to a lot of my work. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where it really came from. I'm, I guess I just, it's been a subject I've been interested in for a really long time. And I had the pleasure of kind of uh, developing my own game around the subject matter last year. And um, when I was developing it, I was also kind of very curious about how other developers were using this topic in their games. And so that's kind of where the podcast came from. So uh, <laughs> I'm not so looking, to, yeah, sorry. So did, the, did the podcast come from the work on the game then? It wasn't like you have this pervasive lifelong interest in, <laughs> in death that you know, like, well, I'm, I'm going to start a podcast. Actually, I'm going to make a video game. Yeah, a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. I think okay. uh, the, the podcast definitely came from working on a game about the subject matter and kind of thinking about design decisions and thinking about it from from the design perspective and also being curious about other developers. But it is also just, I, it's a cu- subject I'm very comfortable with. And so it's something that I've kind of been interested in for a long time, uh, even prior to making games. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I just thought it would be an interesting thing to kind of to explore. Um, it's definitely not the only thing I want to explore. Like I work on lots of other games that <laughs> are not explicitly death themed, I promise. <laughs> and uh, our but, next no, game. This is going to be from... a fully death episode, though, I'm afraid. Just, uh, oh, yeah. We're going to talk a bit. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> no, I, I mean, it is really interesting. Like Mortician's Tale especially is... I think it's a really excellent thing because of the way it, it kind of approaches death. Like, and as your sort of podcast illustrates, you know, death is is a pervasive thing across video games. It's a thing in almost every game. Like, you you've died, start again, and stuff. Um, but Mortician Tale is one of the few that kind of takes a much more kind of direct approach uh, to it. Um, mm-hmm. And like, I, I don't know if you, I'm sure you are familiar, but there was a book that came out a few years ago. I think it was called Stiff. And oh yeah, it was yeah. like the journey of a body after it's died and very kind of matter of fact really excellently written though um and yeah. it very much like mortician's tale kind of brought that to mind like how kind of unromantic and yet kind of 
not unromantic, but like un, an unsentimental view of death that manages to be like way more human and personal than most kind of sentimental death stories. Um, if you know what I mean, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> I also we did read stuff. I um I have a big collection of death related books that I've picked up throughout <laughs> the course of development, and so there's you must that have one. a fascinating Google. Yeah, yeah. Well. Oh god, yeah. My Google history is is I'm definitely on some sort of government watch list for sure. <laughs> <laughs> had to Google some very specific things while we're developing the game. Um, but yeah, it's a great book, and uh, I'm glad that you think so highly of our game. That means a lot. <laughs> But I mean, it is like that must have been a, a very kind of conscious decision because it is a it has a, a very much a kind of point of view. Maybe like a, for those who aren't sort of familiar with it, maybe talk about what what the game actually is. Sure. So, uh, Mortician's Tale is a narrative-driven job simulator where you play as a funeral director running a funeral home. And in the game, you are tasked with the same tasks that actual morticians would have in real life. So um, preparing bodies of the deceased for embalming or cremation, um, or sorry, burial or cremation, um, interacting with the deceased loved ones at their respective funerals. And also there's a bit of a business side to it. So you're going through the protagonist emails and kind of uh, interacting with her bosses and her clients and her coworkers. Um, And so... Yeah, the game very much was inspired by um, real morticians and funeral directors that we are either friends with or that we consulted with on the project. And uh, it very is ex- much explicitly is about <laughs> death and dealing with the dead bodies that, you know, I think in video games, we so often see dead bodies and we so often interact with them, but it's very, very brief and they usually like fade away. And in this game, we're asking you to actually take care of those bodies, right? And so, yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, that. I, like you must be kind of sick of this idea but that that does sound like a really downbeat pitch but it's really not that at all like to play through like it's a really because it's so matter of fact about it and you have to do stuff like like shave a body for instance like to prepare it for death like that sounds like such a gross thing but there's something because it I guess you've never done anything like that in a game and it, it's just presenting it as here is a task for you to do it kind of I don't know, it, it, it's really um, invigorating in a weird way. Like, I don't know if that's a bad way to describe it, but that's, I remember when, uh, my dad died like many, many years ago, like half my life ago now, but I was about 19, so I was at a weird age. Mm-hmm. And I remember talking to somebody about it and saying it was, I think I, at the time I said it was exciting, but that's the wrong word for it. I think invigorating is a better word for it because it just, any kind of shock or like upset like that really focuses your attention you know in a in a way that yeah in a way that kind of almost nothing else does and it is kind of a real kind of you have such an awareness of death therefore you have such an awareness of life and it's 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 an amazing amazing again i i feel bad using these kind of words but you know no i (laughs) you know what i mean though yeah yeah, I actually lost my mom to breast cancer last year, and I had a oh, lot no. of the same feelings. Yeah, it's it's very not exciting. Exciting's not. I, I get what you're saying. It's like <laughs> there's it's like you kind of your senses are like on fire. You're you're like super yeah. aware Psych- and hyper focused. Hyper focused. Yeah. Yeah. Everything you feel everything times a thousand. Like everything feels happier or sadder or yeah. I don't know just yeah everything yeah I, I see what you're saying I'm trying to think of a, a better word for it but I think like <laughs> yeah I remember my friend is... was very disgusted when I used the word excited which is why that that sticks out <laughs> in my head so much like, but that's not what I mean I don't mean I'm, it's exciting it's just yeah 
this is a sensation that I haven't ever felt before, you know? It is. Um, and I think the biggest thing for us when we made a Mortician's Tale was we wanted to make sure that we explored the game as like, the topic as accurately as possible. And a lot of times um, grief is not just sadness, right? Um, grief is a, a huge spectrum of emotions and everybody feels it completely differently from each other, right? And so that was a big thing we did with the game and a big thing that our, uh, our lead writer, Caitlin Tremblay did for us was she did a really good job at like writing dialogue for the people at the funeral home um, that was not just explicitly sad. Sometimes it was happy. Sometimes it was thinking about a funny story about the person who they lost. Sometimes it's just like, hey, this food is really good. Or, hey, what are you watching on Netflix? It could just be a range of things. We wanted to make sure that we were really accurate about a lot of stuff in the game. Um, but that was a really big, important one for us was just like, and even at my mom's funeral, right? Like I remember being like a lot of uh, my friends showed up, everybody from my team showed up, which is really wonderful. Cause we were developing the game like while this happened. And a lot of our conversation was just us laughing about whatever, you know, it's this people are human <laughs> yeah, and human emotions happen. It doesn't stop. Um, I think it really depends on the situation of course, but like, I don't know. Grief is such a, a spectrum of emotions. We wanted to make sure that we um, were accurate about that. And so the game is, you know, it's about a subject that is obviously very um, sad, but it's also, you know, we didn't want the game to be, hey, this is Sadness Simulator 2018. Yeah, like, death is coming for us all. Why bother? <laughs> give up. There's a lot of lighthearted moments. There's a lot of humor yeah. in it. There's a lot of hopefulness in it. There's a lot of sadness, of course, in it. There's a lot of anger, but it's just Mortician's Tale um, is a lot more than just being sad. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. yeah. I, I'm really like, you don't have to talk about this if you don't want to, but I'm really sure. curious because you, you'd lost your mother around the same time you were developing the game. Like, it, it, it would be impossible to kind of separate those. In, in a way, you know, like, do you feel like things you were doing within the game, things you're exploring within the game, changed how you then dealt with the the lossy mother? If that's not too personal, too no, fast. I'm happy to happy to talk about this. Um, uh, yeah, I, I definitely think my mom's death did not affect the game so much. There was a few things we kind of added to the game um, that became like came from it, but. Um, but on the opposite side, it 100% had an effect, like the game had an effect on me as a person and how I dealt with things. Because we, uh, I was developing the game for a little while and like how put the team together and we were working on the game and doing lots of research and doing lots of like <laughs> consulting with people prior to my mom being diagnosed with cancer. And so a lot of the, I think in hindsight, a lot of the um research we had done and the experience we had had working on this game absolutely had an effect on me and so um speaking personally and so you know um when my mom was diagnosed i had kind of an idea of how to talk with her or just you know not even just to talk to her but just to be there be present with her while she was yeah. going through this and um i think because my mom knew I was so comfortable with it, she often talked to me about things that I wouldn't find out until later that she didn't talk about with anybody. And so, you know, five months later, when my mom was in the ICU and she was on her deathbed and the doctor was asking us questions about, okay, if X, Y, or Z happen, what do you want us to do? And I was able to say yes to this, no to this, blah, blah, blah. And my, my dad and my sister were just like, 
we have no idea. We like she's never talked to us about this stuff. And I'm in hindsight, I'm really, really grateful for. Sorry, there's a train going by. <laughs> Let me just, I live right okay. next to a train track, so I'm like very conscious of how noisy it is. Um, sorry. Um, uh, it was a thing that my mom talked about with me, but not with my dad or my sister. And I'm in hindsight, I'm very, very grateful that working on this game gave me enough experience and understanding of how to, you know, sit with somebody and like have conversations with them enough so that my mom was comfortable enough to have those conversations with me and that I was able to give her, you know, like make choices for her when she couldn't make those choices for herself and give her the death that she, that she wanted. Right. Um, and so, but even, even aside from that, you know, when my dad and my sister, you know, were grieving, I was able to support them and understand what they were going through and, and, and make decisions um, with the funeral home. And even beyond that, it was understanding and processing my own feelings and able, being able to support myself. And that, um, I think a lot of that came from working on this game, you know? And uh, I think, I don't want to speak for my teammates, um, but I will say that I think a lot of them had a really, they were like, my team was very, very comfortable with the subject matter, which is why I hired them. Yeah. <laughs> you can't, you can't really work with people um, who are not comfortable with the subject matter. It's not fair to them to kind of put them in the situation where they have to deal with it, but it's also not fair to you or your game because if someone's afraid of the subject matter and you're, you know, asking them to do stuff with the game, they're not going to put themselves fully into it if they're scared Absolutely. of it and so I feel really grateful that my team was so comfortable with it but I think a lot of it too was um, again when my, when my mom died my teammates my friends um, they were really good about like they came to the funeral they drove all the way to my hometown to do it which was really wonderful and I appreciated it and even after the fact you know a lot of them uh, were routinely checking in on me in the way that you were supposed to do um, with people who've lost lost somebody um people were really like conscious about self-care with me you know yeah. um especially especially my uh like the lead writer caitlin trouble and our sound sound designer um jen costa they're both really really good about being like because they live not too far from me so they're both very good about like hey what are you doing tonight let's drink wine and watch riverdale and that is exactly the kind of self-care i need <laughs> so <laughs> i really yeah i don't know i i don't want again i don't want to speak for them because this might have been stuff that they already knew prior to working on the game but just like I don't know, just a lot of the research we had done had a huge impact on how we deal with grief and how I deal with that kind of stuff. So sorry, that was kind of a very rambly. <laughs> no, 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 that's good. That's answer. good. Um, and I do, like, I do think that that's, I think for, for players as well, I think that's one of the sort of most interesting or the, the best things about the game is I, I think you, you can get that from the game as a player as well. Like that, just the kind of the even just like something as trivial as like the, the administration side of it and you know and the the kind of these are the steps you will need to go through and just having an awareness of that can be hugely useful just to kind of keep you to give you like some sort of structure when you're dealing with something like that you know yeah yeah i think so too that's um well we went super deep super fast so let's uh <laughs> right out of the gate the saddest thing we can talk about <laughs> that's fine that's fine that's good uh let's let, let's trail back let's trace this back sure. to, to the origins so uh yeah. gabby if you can remember what was your very first experience of a video game oh my god okay so um my first video games were all probably educational games that my parents had bought for windows 95 okay. um 
like magic school bus or whatever but there was one in particular i remember um which is called nightlight and i remember trying to google this game and i couldn't find it anywhere it was the longest time i thought that i had like made this up <laughs> it was just like a game that i had fabricated but no it does exist i, I just can't found imagine it nightlight yeah it's called nightlight and so the premise is is that it's like a point and click adventure game um the premise is that there's like this family-owned house the family goes out to like a movie or dinner or whatever and the cat and dog are alone at home and the cat and dog are like they want to play like a um, hidden object game with you the player and so you are basically looking around the different rooms in this house trying to find the objects that the cat and the dog ask you to but the twist is that it's nighttime and so everything is kind of twisted into this like fantastical version of itself and so you know you'll go into the bathroom and the toilet will have like a terrifying face and the the broom that's in the ba- in the cupboard is actually a clown or whatever and you have a nightlight that you can shine on these things and reveal what they actually are in person and so i guess the whole educational aspect of it is like hey the dark isn't so bad and you always have your nightlight um and so like they're asking you to search for things um both with the light on or with the light off um and i remember this i remember this game vividly because i was terrified of it (laughs) because a lot of these like fantastical renditions of uh the like real life version of that thing were actually terrifying so there's one room (laughs) where it's like one of the kids bedrooms and in the fantastical dark version there's like a person staring in at the window and i was like that like messed me up as a kid (laughs) i was just like terrified to look out my own window um but simultaneously it was also this like weird curiosity for me because um the game had achievements (laughs) so it kind of that was the thing that kept pushing me to play this damn game um and that definitely carried over into uh my gaming career like later on down the line (laughs) but um and also just like the creepy aspect of it also carried over as well um but that was yeah i think probably the first game i've ever played was nightlight that's um, such a such a gamble though this kind of like terrifying. the premise behind it of like are we gonna make things in the dark seem scary but remind kids they've got the light because you could introduce ideas that kids wouldn't have had like yeah like i wouldn't i'd never have thought of the toilet as a big scary face but hey you've shown it to me that's yeah. all i'm gonna see from now on and it's it can be a bit traumatizing too and it's <laughs> yeah i don't know and it's funny too, too because sometimes when i think back on like kid me watching a, a thing as a child i'm like oh that was really scary and then when i watch it as an adult i'm like that's not scary so like the labyrinth right like david bowie labyrinth yeah, yeah, yeah. i i remember watching it as a kid and thinking it was a horror movie like the part where she falls in that pit and there's hands like i remember yeah, yeah, yeah. these hands groping her i thought it was a horror movie and then i watched it like five years ago and i was like oh it's jim henson this is <laughs> like it's muppets like it's like this super lighthearted thing and so um i remember so i was like okay nightlight i remember being terrified of it i remember being it's so scary and then i googled it and the images are still around they're very very pixelated but they're still like terrifying like, absolutely terrifying <laughs> so it's not like my brain is exaggerating they actually are very very scary and so i'm surprised i wasn't <laughs> just like completely traumatized <laughs> by this game and uh, probably five or six maybe when it yeah and was this a a shared thing was this a family thing or was this something purely for for you to enjoy like i mean you said they were educational games i'm guessing they're just something your parents got for the kids yeah they they picked it up and i don't remember my parents playing it with me i remember playing it by myself like in the basement because this is like the 90s and so i remember my parents putting the computer 
in the basement where there was a locked door, you know, and I'd be like, okay, I'm going to go play a video game. <laughs> and then I'd just like lock the door and my parents would be like, oh, it's fine. Whereas like nowadays that would never freaking happen, right? Like parents are so <laughs> just like have that yeah. watchful eye. My living room, so, my uh, PC was in the living room. So there was never the, the locked door thing. Although to be fair, I don't think my parents really cared what I was playing. Yeah, I just, even when I was older, I'd be like, I'm going to go do my homework. And then I'd just go play Tomb Raider for a really long time. Like, <laughs> just, yeah, I don't know. But yeah. So was that like a, a kind of a pivotal moment at the time or just in retrospect? Like, did that make you want to play every game that came out? Was that you kind of for the rest of your childhood? Yes, for sure. I don't know if that was the game that started it. I think I kind of played games pretty casually. Um, sorry, Train. I Yeah, sorry. I don't think that was the game that... that started it I, I played games pretty unseriously um but um I don't know if I can jump ahead but yeah no do um the game the game that got me into wanting to make video games um was Majora's Mask which came out like five years later <laughs> um and that was so when I was a kid I was really obsessive about video games so my parents didn't want to own a console in the house because they were like, oh, this kid's never going to get their homework done. We just got it. Yeah. yeah. But jokes on them. Again, the computer. I'd, I would just go on the computer and play games <laughs> instead and they didn't know. Um, but uh, I remember playing Majora's Mask or no, sorry, I was playing Ocarina of Time at my cousin's house. And I remember my mom was like, okay, you know, maybe once every once in a while we'll rent a N64 from Blockbuster and you can rent a game. And so I remember, um, and this is something I actually talked about in my GDC talk. Uh, so this is like very explicitly related to death. Um, if I can talk about it, but no, please do. when I was around 10 years old, um, there was a girl in my class who her and her mom both died. Um, in like a very, very, very horrific car accident. And that messed me up and like caused me to develop some pretty severe death anxiety as well as like separation anxiety and OCD. And I had a really hard time going to school because I was really afraid to be separated from my mom. And I was like always thinking about how my mom would die or how I would die. Like I just could not stop thinking about death. And I think the biggest thing that helped me get over that was um, my mom would be like, she, I guess she saw this behavior and was like, nope, like this, we got to fix this. And so yeah. she sat me down and was like, listen, if you're having, if you want to talk about this, you know, talk about it with me, ask questions. And she always answered things honestly, which I think is a very good thing for people to do with kids. It's just like, make sure we're talking about death honestly and not using like, weird keywords like grandma's with the angels now or whatever. Right. Yeah. So my mom was really good about that, but she also was like, Hey, if you have these feelings, consider exploring them in like I don't know writing or pictures or whatever and so I remember um for a little a couple years after that that girl died and her mom died um I was really really terrified of like scary things and like horror movies and I would like I wouldn't even glance towards the horror movie section at Blockbuster like I was just so terrified about it and after that conversation with my mom I started to kind of like peek little glances at it and I remember there being a uh like commercial on TV for Majora's Mask. And I don't know if you remember seeing the commercial for it. Um, 
for Majora's Mask, but it's like it is terrifying. It is so dark. <laughs> I mean, the moon in that game is is terrifying. Yeah, like, and that so, is a really horrible, ominous image of this. Yeah, game. Oh. and so for some reason, I saw this and I was like, you know what? I'm I'm curious. I'm curious about this super terrifying and like deathy game, and I want to play it. And I rented it from Blockbuster, and I became obsessed with it. I was obsessed with Majora's Mask and just like played it nonstop for like the three days that we had it and I It's very appropriate like, for the game. I <laughs> I know and I I um I made uh like a little walkthrough that I still have. It's really, really cute and I drew all these pictures and like wrote a bunch of notes down. And um but I remember very explicit like like specifically the area that I liked the most was the main village, like Clocktown. And the reason why I liked it so much, because I think Majora's Mask is very, very deathy and very, very like gloom and doomy in a lot oh, of ways. Oh, it's, it's the darkest Zelda game by by far, right? Like, by some um, margin. But the part that I think really resonated with me the most was um, the villagers are. They don't know that you have the ability to rewind time, and they don't know that you're like actively trying to save them. All they know is that the moon is going to crash into the earth, and that they can't stop it. And so you have you see all these different reactions from people, right? So you see like some people are like, oh, like this isn't going to happen. I'm in denial about this, like the carpenters. Um, and then you see some people like the soldiers who are like, we have to evacuate the town. <laughs> like they're trying their best to do something about it. Yeah. And they're like, you know, it's not going to make a difference. But then you have people who are just continuing on with their lives. They're aware that they're going to die. And they're just like, you know what? I'm still going to deliver this mail or I'm still going to perform these circus acts or I'm still going to run this in. Like they just, they know it's going to happen and they can't stop it. So they're just going to keep living their lives. And as a kid, that just like blew my mind where I was like, huh, okay. People are aware of their mortality and they're comfortable living with it. And that just like really, 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 I'm like, I'm speaking very loosely about this, but that I remember that, being really, really cool to me as a kid. That's a really good lesson game, to learn at that point. <laughs> and this game, um, and I remember just like replaying the same areas over and over and over again, just like talking to everybody in Clocktown. That's like mainly what I wanted to do as a kid. And just being really, I don't know, just like very comforted by this idea. And I think by directly interacting with the subject matter, it helped me get over my death anxiety in a very, very big way, right? And that's a lot of where the idea of Mortician's Tale came from, was like, hey, if we encourage players to directly interact with these themes, if we encourage players to directly interact with, you know, embalming or cremation, maybe we can help people alleviate some of their death anxiety, maybe we can educate people about these processes, um, you know, tell a story through this interaction, whatever. And so, um, but yeah, Majora's Mask was like, that was the game that got me not over like not just only over my death anxiety and was not just like a part of a piece of therapy for me yeah um but also it was the game that got me interested in game design because from there on out i just didn't stop thinking about game design <laughs> and that's started that's like, yeah. amazing like uh, but really genuinely like at that time because i'm assuming you would have been quite young then like is this like just 10? kind of in retrospect old. that you're thinking oh well that's clearly the game that kind of set me on this path or were you at that age being right right i'm gonna make games now so let's see how i can design games um here here and there i think um around that time i was like yes i'm gonna be a game developer and i would start like 
Uh, I made a bunch of board games and like paper prototypes mostly. Um, but then, you know, kind of like that wavered over time. I remember kind of losing that interest for a while and then picking it up again a little bit in high school and losing it again and picking it up again in college. And but how did you know that that was like a, a, a thing, you know, like were you, I, I suppose you're younger than me, so you may have had, you'd be online by that point and you could find out like, oh, this is a thing that I could do. Yeah, as a kid, I didn't really think about it. I was just like, hey, someone made this game and I can make games too. And I just, okay, like, cool. I was like, game designer, that's what I'm going to do for for a bit. And then I think you get a little bit older, right? So I remember getting, getting a bit older and being like, and I think my dad at the time was like, no, no, no. Um, you have to think about a realistic job. Don't pick game design, which is hilarious because jokes on him. Uh, here I am. Um, he's like just he's also very supportive and wonderful, and he laughs about this um, in hindsight. But you know, I think I kind of lost interest—not interest, but I kind of convinced myself this was not a thing I could do for a few years. And then there was a bit in high school where I was playing a lot of flash games, and I was like yeah, I know how to use Flash and I could probably make games like this. And then I lost interest again. Again, just like, you know, when you get to that age, you have a bit more realistic ideas of what the... Or not not actually, but you, you think you have realistic ideas of yeah, exactly. <laughs> how the world works. And I was like, oh, I probably can't make a career from this. And then I stopped pursuing that. Um, and then I went to school for... I, I studied graphic design in college. Um and then when I was in college, I started meeting people in the kind of the local Toronto game scene. And when I met them, I was like, yo, hey, I can <laughs> I can make video games. And that's kind of where that came from. So it's I kind of it was never like a consistent thing where like starting from the age of three, I wanted to be a game designer and that's it. I, it wasn't really like that, but yeah. it definitely was a thing that kind of stuck in the back of my mind for a long time. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad that <laughs> I'm making games now. I'm sure 10 year old Gabby would be really excited about it. But um, was was yeah. this, uh, I'm interested, like, was this a, an interest that you, you shared when you were younger? Like, so when you were a teenager or something like, did you have friends and peers who were into, into game design or just into games generally? Um, in high school, not so much. No, I uh, I remember um, actually even prior to that when I was in elementary school, so like a little bit older than Majora's Mask time, um, I got made fun of a lot <laughs> for like liking video games and liking anime. And uh, so I kind of just like pretended and I was just like, oh, I, I hate anime now. I hate video games, um, which the, is not the true. The classic yeah. tale. I know, and now as a, like an adult, I'm like, I love anime. <laughs> I, love, I love video games. But was there not um, even, like, you know, like that sort of small circle of friends that people tend, you know, you gravitate to the others that are into the same things as you? Yeah, not not in elementary school, really, like a little bit. But then um, high school, same thing. I kind of convinced myself, not really. Um, but then towards the end of high school and early into college I made a, a group of friends that were really into video games and that's kind of what got me back into it was um you know I one of them gave me their old Xbox 360 and somebody found their old <laughs> PlayStation 2 and so I ended up like going to college and having tons of consoles and that's kind of what got me back into it and specifically the things that got back got me back into it were this is like 2007 and that was a good year for video games, right? So there was like Bioshock and Half-Life 2 and Portal and I think Left 4 Dead came out not too far after that. And so like it, I don't know, it was, uh, I didn't really play too many video games 
in high school because I was, I think, a, a bit embarrassed about it. But then yeah. having friends that were into it kind of towards the end of high school and into like my college friends got me back into it. And uh, yeah, I think the number one game we play, this is so one of the questions you asked me before was um, the game that I've played the most and that's very easily left for dead one and two i played those games so much <laughs> uh in college like online or like online, was it, if you're yeah. in college is that like networked around a dorm or something no that was um i online i had these three friends um and we would consistently play with each other and uh just yeah we we played so much left for dead and to the point that um yeah we were <laughs> Just like I knew the maps exactly. I knew where things would spawn from. Like I was constantly just like, I was just very, very deep. We got so many achievements. Like I, I think we got <laughs> all of, like it was just, it was just very, very, I was extremely into Left 4 Dead and Left 4 Dead 2. And that is, um, you know, I played, there's a lot of games that I've played a lot of. Um, yeah, you mentioned I, that at the start that you have this, you know, the, this, the, the nightlight game had achievements, which is very yeah. reminiscent of your, like, <laughs> is that a thing that you do? You, you, you're a completionist. Yeah, I, I never really considered that, but it's absolutely a thing. Even now we're playing a lot of, and it's really funny because, um, I played a lot of online games, uh, around that time, like Left 4 Dead 1, Left 4 Dead 2 times that played a lot of games. Um, and over the last like year or two, I've gotten back into the same thing. So between like Overwatch and now Fortnite and like Sea of Thieves and Dead by Daylight, like I'm just playing almost exclusively online games again, which is a really, really weird thing because I, <laughs> I didn't for like 10 years. Um, but um, with Fortnite, especially Fortnite has these, they're not called achievements, they're called challenges. And that is like the thing that like keeps me coming back to that game is like wanting to get these challenges for whatever reason. <laughs> like they, like what, for instance, like I've, I've played a, a very brief amount of Fortnite and like I'm, I'm 36 now and I'm like, I played a couple of rounds. Oh, this isn't for me. Yeah, that's My reflex, um, my reflexes aren't what they once were. Very similar to, you know, it's like it's the, the battle royale. Um, mode <laughs> it's the new yeah, mode. yeah yeah just the challenges um, though like are they just like but, little mini achievements yeah no they're basically yes so it's it, it, they're all um they're all things like you know uh get this many eliminations using the sniper rifle but it's also like search for this flag over here or open this many chests or um they, they'll put things into the game so they'll go like the most recent week they had like garden gnomes they just put in randomly so they, they they come up with achievements to do and they're always week to week right so achievements change every week and so it's this weird thing where it's not even just like a list of achievements it's also like they're constantly new ones coming in and they're constantly updating the game with new things to collect and that is just like i don't know for some reason that is that just has me it has me so bad <laughs> like i just <laughs> And it's also it's also fascinating because achievements are a great way to encourage players to play the game differently and think about the game differently. And so now, you know, um, and because these achievement or challenges are weekly in Fortnite, um, you are encouraging players to go to different areas of the map that they wouldn't normally, right? Or using diff different weapons that they wouldn't normally. Yeah. Or playing. It's just it's it's so fascinating to see how they can kind of manipulate the world and manipulate players in the game um just by giving them incentives like that it's it's really really cool and so 
Do you yeah, enjoy it though? I love like, this it. This is, yeah, this is. <laughs> I think this is like a weird. It's not a weird thing. It's very much a character thing because I've spoken to a lot of people on the show about, like, for instance, games they've played like way too much that they've had to uninstall, and it's mm-hmm. usually like big MMOs and stuff. And the general consensus from people I speak to is that yeah, you know, I did kind of play that nonstop for a couple of years, but I had a great time, so it's fine. Whereas I I know that I would just have guilt associated with that. And similarly with collectibles and achievements, I do find myself sometimes kind of drawn to them. But it, I, I feel such a sort of hollow sense of enjoyment at the end of it. And I don't yeah. know. I don't know why that is. I think, um, you know, I've never felt I, I think I'm a pretty responsible gamer <laughs> where uh you know it's not taking over my life um there's a lot of games it in hindsight that i played a lot of i i was really into world of warcraft in college i played a lot of wow and that was a game that i stopped playing because of um cataclysm one of its updates um okay it, like ruined <laughs> one of my characters and i was so mad that i was like i'm never coming back to this game again so that kind of that kind of ended wow for me which is probably a good thing um but for things like fortnite i don't i don't know i i'm enjoying the game now at some point i might not enjoy the game and i don't think i'll ever look back on it and be like oh i put 100 whatever hours into this game like that doesn't i don't know i never i never feel hollow about that because i you know even looking at back at left 4 dead i haven't played left 4 dead in years but when i look back on how many hours i spent playing left 4 dead it's it's fun i i really yeah. enjoyed that time it's a really good game it's i really enjoyed playing it with my friends and uh, i wonder yeah, if that's the difference actually that. that you're playing it cooperatively you're always playing with people because yeah it, when i think about stuff like that i think about like hunting for the pigeons in grand theft auto 4 or something or the hidden packages oh, yeah. in grand theft auto 3 i'm like oh my god like i spent a lot of time doing that the only exception was crackdown which did that perfectly because that was kind of tied into how you play the game. Did you ever play Crackdown? No, I never played Crackdown. Oh my god, it's amazing! Um, because they they just there's literally hundreds of these little green orbs hidden around the city, and every time you get one, you can jump a little bit higher, which means you can jump and find like better or oh, it's, it's a really good kind of loop. oh interesting yeah I, I imagine cool. similar to like uh, Super Mario Odyssey or something which I've not played like because there are what is it like nine hundred ninety nine of the little things i don't even know what they're called i'm so out of the game in loop now um are they called shine snow no whatever they're called um odysseys and they're not called odysseys yeah i know what you're talking the little moons um moons that's what they're called they're called moons they just call moons okay yeah Yeah. i didn't my partner um 100 of it and (laughs) and he was also trying to do the koroks in breath of the wild and like i'm a i'm a collector but i'm not that much like i think that's like the big difference i don't know what that is is what is that in the oh so in breath um zelda breath of the wild um there's these little like uh, oh the little koroks right yeah yeah and so but there are so many of them i think that's a big difference between a game that incentivizes you with achievements or collectibles like Fortnite versus Breath of the Wild because there are so many of those things and they don't like the, that challenge is always there and I think it's it's there's it's so there's so much of it to the point that you get them without trying right and so it's like you'll pick up a rock and it'll go like yeah you found me and you're like cool i wasn't even looking for you like that's that feels bad that doesn't feel good that's not like a satisfying you were looking for it or you solved the puzzle and found it it's just yeah. like oh god damn it i just wanted this rock stop bothering me <laughs> so um i don't know i think oh, now i'm just picturing a really sad korok just walking away <laughs> like this was meant to be my yeah. big moment and you've ruined it 
And I guess I guess Mario is different because um, all of the moons you have to do something for, right? They're not just like for the most yeah, they're part. Yeah, not just it's things not just in the like, world. Oh, you yeah. found me. It's like it's, you have to do something for it. So maybe it's a bit different. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I I didn't get into either of those things, so I don't know. No, that's fine. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a brief aside, Gabby, to yeah, do some uh, relatively quick fire questions. I think we've covered some of these already, but that's that's fine. Sure. Uh, so, Gabby, if you had to play a game with death for your own mortal soul, what game are you best at? Oh, Frogger. <laughs> Frogger. A plus. Frogger. Yeah, I was really into Frogger when I was a kid. Again, not allowed to play console games, only allowed to play PC games, and so we had this like 3D Frogger. And I got really, really, really good at it. And that's I know like, the exact one you mean. That's that was actually quite good. Yeah, and so um, also, so when Crossy Road came out like a couple years ago, um, I had such a high score that the developers thought I was a bot. <laughs> like I, I for a little <laughs> brief moment, I had the highest score in the world, and they didn't think it was real because I, you just you get really, really good at playing a game a certain way, and it's like anyway, yeah. So Frogger, Frogger is my game that I'm very, very good at. <laughs> oh, that is a good one. That is that is that is a good one. Um, um that's an amazing Crossy Road story as well. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we we touched on this briefly a second ago, but um, and we've already sort of mentioned that it's Left the Dead, but the game that kind of consumed your life to the point where you've had to kind of move away from it a little bit. Um, yeah, World of Warcraft is in World there of Warcraft, for sure. Yeah. Um, Skyrim, oh god, played a lot of Skyrim, and um, oh Neopets. I didn't talk about Neopets. Neopets was like, did you play Neopets at all when you were? I don't a think youth? so. The, this has come up older, before. Yeah. There, there was a thing, I had a thing called uh, Cats with a Z. There was Cats and Dogs, which I think were kind of pre... It was essentially just kind of a, a screensaver, but you could like feed them. It was like a very basic kind of Tamagotchi-esque thing. Yeah, I so Neopets consumed my life. I was like around the same age. I was like 10 or 11 when Neopets came out. Um, and that I was like, I was obsessed with Neopets and um, spent a lot of time on it. But also that was Neopets I have a lot of love for because um, you had these like profile pages that you could share with people. And um, I wanted my profile page to look cool and have like a cool background and like a MIDI song playing. And so I actually ended up learning HTML and CSS. (laughs) (laughs) So Neopets was a game that I played a lot of and like, I really, really loved and like, you know, found a really great community through, but also it's the game that taught me a little bit of web development <laughs> when I was like 10 or 11. So, but I played a lot of Neopets. I played a ton of it. Yeah. I, I don't like it. I, I, I don't know enough about it to ask you a question about that. Like what was your best Neopet or something? Is that no, even a thing? No, it's not even really a thing. It's not really like Pokemon or anything, right? Like you don't really do anything with them. It's just like... You just have Neopets and you can like buy them groceries or you can like. (laughs) (laughs) But you had the best looking profile page though. Yeah, I had a a very good looking profile page. Yeah. Um, Are you a a a particularly competitive gamer? Have you ever been locked in a high score battle with someone? Um, Crossy Road a little bit, just because I, again, (laughs) I'm very good at Crossy Road. Um, High score. No, I guess um, the closest thing is probably speedrunning. I used to, the, the one and only game that I ever speedran, speedrunned was... I think speedran. Uh, I think, I think speed that, ran? that sounds okay. good. Yeah. Um, I only ever got interested in doing it with one game, and that was Mirror's Edge, the original Mirror's Edge. And oh, that's that was a good a one thing. to choose. Yeah, I think that was, that's uh, probably 
the most competitive I've ever gotten. It's just like trying to shave off half a second of someone else's score. <laughs> it's just like the weirdest thing to be angry about. <laughs> did you do well on it? Like, did, did, were you in contention? No, I I wasn't like, I don't think I was all that good because you would, you would, do really really well early in the game and then you know you would watch speed runs from people who would like do glitches and you're like shit i have no idea how to do that and so <laughs> i really enjoyed doing it but it was very i don't think i was all that good and then now i watch speed runs of it through like um agdq or sgdq and i'm like what the fuck like there's just like oh sorry for <laughs> i don't know if i can swear on this yeah, show of course you can. Uh, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> but it, people will just have these like weird hacks and i'm like what i i it's been years since I tried to speedrun this game and I had no idea. And so now, like, you know, every time that I see somebody speedrunning this game, I get that itch of like, oh. <laughs> if I tried, <laughs> could maybe, I could, maybe, maybe I could do better than them. Maybe. We'll see. I do often yeah. think that, like, there, like, there must be a game out there somewhere that I can just be like, right, this is going to be my game that I'm going to speedrun. Like, something obscure. I don't want to have too much competition. Yeah, uh, I didn't I didn't try. It just, it just kind of became a thing. It just became a thing that I really enjoyed playing and really enjoyed... I feel like that's Plankly. a really good way to play it, you know? You get the most out of it by trying to just do it as yeah. fast as possible. It definitely is part of the game's design, like, just inherently. So I think it is a good, like, good, good game to speedrun. <laughs> um, if you are prone to such things, Gabby, uh, what is your worst rage quit? Oh, um, I've only ever rage quit a game once, and it, this is a silly one, and I, I feel bad about it. Um, I didn't love the UX in uh, Last of Us, Okay. And I kept getting really, really frustrated with it because you would be in a situation and you would have to like reload your gun. And the the game is designed this way, right? Where it's like supposed to be realistic. So design like reloading your gun means you need to take your backpack out and then take your gun out and then you take your ammo out to reload your gun and then put your backpack back on. Like it's like a whole series of buttons. Yeah. And I was like kept dying because I couldn't get my gun out fast enough and I was just so angry and I think it was like a big contrast because I was I was playing games um that were like fairly quick shooters uh, around the time and so to have this game that is supposed to be like a realistic version I was just so angry I remember my partner playing it with me and I like at some point threw the controller and he was like no (laughs) (laughs) don't throw the controller so that's that's it I don't really rage quit games but that is the one and only time was I was just like fuck the last of us and i haven't played it since and i feel bad because apparently it's very wonderful it's a lot of like lots of very wonderful stories around death in last of us and i will probably never play it because i was so mad about it <laughs> yeah i mean it's not it's got a very good ending but you know it's not worth breaking a control over you can just watch it on youtube <laughs> okay fair that's good to know um is there a game that you kind of that you go to for for comfort like a chicken soup game um chicken soup game uh probably stardew valley is probably the good one it's just like or animal crossing um very very low-key very comforting games um stardew valley is kind of nice too because you can kind of pick it up whenever right yeah um kind of saves at the end of every day and so yeah that is a big one for me i um uh was really into the first harvest moon like really really into it and so i don't know it's like this weird stardew valley like scratches that itch so much yeah <laughs> and it's just very very comforting and very very chill to play i got to a really weird place with stardew valley where i like i played it a lot i, I say a lot probably not that much i've got through a year mm-hmm. um and so i've got like a lot of stuff and i just like it, it's almost become like i can't play it because i have 
I, I need time to play it properly because I have all these ideas of this amazing farm that I'm going to build and I have all the resources. And it's like, oh, I need to I need to set aside a few days to sit down and do that. Yeah, and I don't think I'm fair. ever going to do it because like I would feel too guilty about doing it. But that's like I've gone past the stage where you can just kind of maintain like, no, now I need to. I get the same thing with Minecraft as well. Oh, where yeah. I, I'll try and play it and I have all these grand visions and then I realize how long it's going to take. I'm like, oh, no. I'll just, my rubbish little glass house can just stay here for now. That's fair, yeah. I think Wind Waker too. Wind Waker's like a really calm, I don't, there's like combat in it and stuff, but I really, it just feels good. Wind Waker feels good. I don't know what it is about that game. It just feels very satisfying and very comforting to play for some reason. Yeah. I don't know. It's the, the part of it for me is the, the, the music of it and not the music necessarily, but the especially in the combat everything is very percussive and it's kind of melodic and you have all these kind of like rising notes with each hit and stuff it's very very satisfying yeah yeah um i think the art too like it's just i don't know there's a lot of stuff about wind waker that feels very comforting (laughs) yeah that was the last Zelda that i really like that was i played that through university and that was like i just I, i like i collected all the flowers like i really went deep on that game it was just it was amazing um okay i actually know i've forgotten one uh games you know games as uh, your game is is a fine evidence of this they're able to evoke and explore various different topics but one of the rarest emotions you get from games is laughter so what games have made you laugh oh um pretty much every double fine game ever <laughs> double fine games have this like really wonderful charm to them and sometimes there's just a lot of really good humor i i love uh, actually you know what like talking about comforting games i think like costume quest is in there for me too just like i really really love double fine games they have such like, a wonderful humor and charm to them um what else the Sims 2 is a game the Sims that 2. has made me laugh so much. Yeah, so I have this I have this theory. <laughs> this podcast is going to turn into like my Sims 2 theory. No, no, where... I'm into it. Let's see it. <laughs> okay, so I was really into the first Sims. Um, but I think that The Sims 2 is the best Sims game because there was a lot more to it than the first Sims. Um, but it was a lot more broken and like... In, in hilarious ways than three or four, right? So like things would happen accidentally in Sims 2 and it would still work. Like the game would still function and it would be really, really funny. So like you would put your baby down and it would glitch into the tank and your baby would just live in the fish tank from then on. Or like <laughs> like things like that happen all the time, right? Or like, <laughs> um, and so I don't know. I think like the Sims 2 is the best game and then like they tried to like emulate that in sims 3 and sims 4 where it's like haha wouldn't it be funny if this happened and they program it in but it's not the same it's not the same as when the game does it accidentally and you're like oh god this is really perfect so a good example of this is um three or four years ago i worked for a game studio and at that point there weren't very many of us and so uh one day for fun i think ea had the sims 2 up for free and uh one of the guys i worked with was like hey we should just make our team as the sims like make each other and then just see what happens and so we did that we each like made the other person or like each other and then we just kind of watched what happened and it was really like again very glitchy all these like bad things happened because the game's kind of broken but it was all very very charming and funny and so like immediately um like within the first five minutes of us turning the game on and like not touching it my sim like gabby sim sim gabby 
um, wanted to go get a snack and got stuck between the vending machine and the couch and then starved to death. (laughs) 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 And then I became a ghost and was haunting the rest of my team. And so that's like very on brand. (laughs) And then there was um, one guy who was probably like my closest friend at that studio. Um, I guess they had set him to have, whoever made him had set him so that he was like, curious about paranormal things and so even though i was a ghost we were still like really good friends and like having conversations about baseball or like sandwiches <laughs> and then the, um, the art director at the time she was like a very maybe like a, not a, not aggressive but very um how do i say this like a very a-type personality okay and so in the game all she would do is just work out <laughs> from like dawn to dusk and then start physical fights with people <laughs> it was just like really silly and out of like it's just very very funny and then you know there was one guy that was always trying to tell each other 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 people dirty jokes like it was very weirdly on brand considering how we didn't do any of it like it's just the sims just kind of ran its course and kept accidentally glitching but in really funny ways i don't know i just think that the sims too is like again like just perfectly hilarious um <laughs> And yeah, I don't know some of those some of those glitches. It's kind of like I guess like Skyrim or Fallout, where yeah. those games are really glitchy, but in a very charming way, and you can't be mad at it. You're like, oh well, like <laughs> it's it's fine that my face isn't rendering. I still love you, Fallout Four. Like it's. <laughs> but the Sims know. is even better though because you have this kind of personal stake in it, and so you you know, extrapolate in real world personalities from it. That sounds brilliant. Yeah, I love it. I think The Sims Two is hilarious. And so, like you mentioned there, you were working at this studio. So how how did you kind of make that move then from sort of studying graphic design to, to working in games? Yeah. So when I was in school, again, I had all these friends that were really into video games. And then um, a lot of my interests kind of turned to video games. And so um, I, a lot of my projects, kind of without thinking about it, became fairly video game themed and centric, very video game centric. And um, my portfolio was subsequently filled with lots of video game themed things. And so when I graduated, uh, I really wanted to work in games, but didn't have the know-how of how to make games. And so I got a job directly out of school for on the marketing team for a mid-sized mobile game studio in Toronto. And I worked on that marketing team doing like web development mainly, as well as graphic design stuff for about a year and a bit. And then when the games team needed a another UI UX designer they just moved me over and I started doing that and then I also started doing game art and then um I did that for like another two or whatever years and um in that time I learned how to use unity and I learned a bit of programming and wanted to kind of make my own games um and then you know when you're working for a company typically they'll have what's called a non-compete contract which is while you're working for that company, they don't want you working for any other company, which is yeah. totally like a, it's a pretty normal thing. Um, yeah. And so I, you know, started making more game art and putting it on Twitter and doing all these things and people wanted to work with me, but I couldn't work with them. And so I ended up leaving that job at that mobile game studio to pursue freelancing. And um, that's kind of how I started freelancing in games. And uh, that seems kind of, yeah. that seems quite bold. Yeah, I mean, at the time, I had people that were like, hey, <laughs> we are interested in working with you. So it wasn't like I just quit my job and just like hoped for the best. I had people kind of lined yeah. up, which I think is if anybody is interested in freelancing, I think that's like 
probably the safest way to do it is just make sure you have work lined up before you quit your job. Um, but that worked out really well. I got to work with a lot of really, really wonderful studios. I still do a bit of freelancing on the side when we're not doing laundry bear stuff. And that kind of helps pay the bills, um, but also allows me to kind of work on new and cool things and learn a bunch of new stuff. And so, yeah, yeah and it, it, it must have bit. been like, I'm sure just the just the notion that, you know, just working in games isn't enough. It's like I want to make these very specific kinds of games. Yeah. And so, like, you know, you have to go and do it yourself because nobody else will likely do it. Yeah. Yeah. What, I... what... <laughs> Sorry, what... go ahead. Were there games that you were playing sort of around this time that kind of pushed you to make that decision or other people that were making other games that made you think, oh, this is, I can do this? Um, that's a great, great question. Let me think. Um, definitely around then, who was making games? I mean, like... Uh, I mean, it seems like a really good community there. Like we do, yeah. Sorry, I'm, I'm just thinking. I'm, this is not great content. <laughs> I'm just like, uh, into the microphone. That's fine. Um, the Toronto games community, indie games community, is really lovely. There's a lot of people here who make some very, very good games. It's very, very great to have other people in the community that you can kind of look to for inspiration. You know, there's like Christine Love um, is here, and she's making some really, really cool stuff. And then you have smaller teams, like Asteroid Base is made up of three people, and they made Lovers in Dangerous Space Time, which is a wonderful game. Um, you know, there's a lot of really great games that have come out of Toronto. And so I think, like, around that time, you know, I was kind of looking to other Toronto folks and being like, yeah, this is a thing I could probably do yeah. as well. This is really cool. Um, I'm trying to think who I may have spoken Nina to Freeman. that was from there, but oh. I, get, I get it confused with Montreal, so I'll probably get it wrong. That's fair, yeah. Like, uh, I Nina wouldn't Freeman. have said Christine, but I have spoken to Christine. That's fair. Um, Christine? I think you did speak to Christine. No, no, I did, yeah, but I wouldn't have I wouldn't have felt confident in saying whether or not that was Montreal or Toronto. Oh, that's fair, yeah. She's Toronto. That's... <laughs> Sorry. Um uh nina freeman's not from toronto but she is a big influence or inspiration um you know i love her games um both with fulbright and outside of fulbright um rebecca accordingly um uh, making ooblets oh my god she's wonderful she's super cool and just like, huge inspiration um yeah i don't know lots of indies lots of like little indies making really cool things on their own or in small teams just huge inspiration and we're also um we're very fortunate to live in Ontario, our, our province has a lot of, um, and like Canada in general, has a lot of really wonderful arts funding. And so it's um, a lot easier to live somewhere that can help pay for your budget as opposed to living anywhere else. Um, so we, you know, I'm very, very fortunate to live in a place that has a lot of benefits to it. Also free healthcare helps as well. <laughs> Absolutely. But um yeah, sorry. I'm, I'm still trying to think of more people that around that time kind of influenced me. It was just, yeah, I don't know. I, I think I was just really wanting to do my own thing. I had a bunch of ideas for games I wanted to make and I couldn't make them at that studio, right? So on top of having the non-compete, they also had like a, a lot of studios have like an ownership clause, which is like anything you make belongs to us. Yeah. And so I just like didn't want to work for a mobile game studio because I wasn't really interested in making mobile games anymore. And, um, you know, nothing wrong with mobile games. I, st I still play them a lot. It's just, I, at that time I was like, I wanted something different and I couldn't. So I just, that was a big thing that pushed me to leave was just, you know, 
having my own ideas and wanting to do my own thing and not being able to do it when you're employed somewhere. And um, what about games that you were you were playing? Like you mentioned Nina Freeman's games, but mm-hmm. like, I mean, th- th- this is like, to all intents, but this is a, very much a golden age of video games at the moment. Like there's so much brilliant interest. There's too much, you know, you could argue brilliant, amazing things that, that come out every week. I'm trying to think of what was happening around that time. Uh, definitely like, um, there was a lot of local multiplayer games I had played around that time or prior to that time. So like Towerfall was a big one. And then um, Nidhogg and Samurai Gun. Uh, I wasn't interested in making multiplayer games, but I just, you know, there's a lot of, that's kind of what got me back, got me interested in indie game development was, um, again, that, that the friend I mentioned, aforementioned as a sim befriending my ghost self. He was yes. the guy, his name's Nicola. He's wonderful. Um, Nick got me into indie games and that's kind of i guess where that idea came from and where i kind of wanted to shift it to so instead of going the triple a route because i thought i had thought about that i had thought about leaving mobile to go triple a or go to other mobile studios um no I, I kind of was really i really really like indie games i really like the space i like the people who make these games i like the flexibility of being able to make whatever you want with whatever size team you want and uh that's kind of where that came from and then you know i ended up becoming friends with matt and noel and working with them on celeste um a few years later and so i don't know it's just like this community is not just uh, like a very very inspirational place but it's also quite small and so you end up making friends with people who absolutely yeah you know you you played their games not too long before that <laughs> so yeah i don't know i uh and, and certainly like matt and noel are huge inspirations to us as well um i don't think so ever what prompted you to, to to do it though like to actually set up and do your own company like did you do that straight away was that something you had in mind no no so that was something i never thought about i never thought about having my own game studio i was like yeah i'm i'm down to um i am down to freelance i want to make art for the people's games i like working with people on their stuff um, it was, um, again, he's also part of the Toronto games community, but my partner, Andrew Carvalho, he, um, he and I just like, we're really good friends for a long time before we started dating. And, um, he and I were, we just have very similar values in terms of like game designs or just like in terms of how to develop games and run companies and things. And so I can't remember like what exactly spawned it, but both of us were like, Hey, we should just like make a game studio. <laughs> it wasn't that <laughs> casual. It was definitely a lot more like thought out and a lot more uh, <laughs> planned, but it was, um, I had already prototyped a mortician's tale and we had done some freelance work on the same projects, like other, an- another client's project. And then, um, yeah, I don't know. We I got funding for Mortician's Tale, and we decided to make it together and decided to make our own company that we could release it under. So that's kind of where that came from. And then, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think we have a lot of friends who, again, in the indie space, you're not just making, you're not just a part of a, a bigger machine. You are oftentimes the person who's also the person running the company right like andrew and i aren't just an artist and a programmer we're also uh <laughs> we also run a business right we're the yeah. accountants we're the marketers we're the ceo the cto and the cfo like it's you you run a company as well and so um that was a part that i didn't think i would enjoy and often kind of shied away from but once we started this company and we kind of did it more out of necessity than anything else right we're um you had to release your game if you wanted to release your game on steam you needed to be 
incorporated. If you wanted to apply for funding in Ontario, you needed to be incorporated. So this incorporation came from kind of needing to, but also um, I really love running a company. I really love the administrative side of it. I really love doing all of the non, I, I, I of course love making games, yeah. making art for games, but I also love running a business and I like managing people and managing a team and um yeah, I don't know. I mean, That's it's a, a real-life I... video game. You're, you're, you're <laughs> yeah, achievement hunting for yeah. actual things. <laughs> game dev simulator, yeah. <laughs> but, like, I mean, that's obviously brilliant because th- that can be the thing that turns people off, you know, when you start your own business and you're like, oh, well, you know, I could get to make all these cool things, but now I've got to, like, do the books and stuff. That's a bit of a pain. Yeah, it, but, it is like, a thing that you, yeah, still have to... Sorry to interrupt. Um, it definitely is a thing that we still have to balance, right? So it is still, uh, you know, there are times where I will sit down on my computer and I'm like, okay, I get, I need to get this art done, but then 20% of my time is taken up with just doing administrative tasks, right? Like you, there's a thing you need to be mindful of if you want to run your own company, but it yeah. is a thing that I enjoy doing. It's not like I try to get it out of the way so I can do the rest of my work or vice versa. Um, it's just, it comes with the territory, right? Of If you want to make indie games, you kind of have to have a little bit of business savvy and, and willingness to do it yeah but has has it changed your relationship with games like as a whole though like do you still play as much you still enjoy as much uh i do i think that over the last even just like uh, just freelancing um i have a lot less time to play games i'm just very busy um but <clears throat> i definitely do still play video games um uh, <laughs> actually over the last few years I've been like, oh, I'm really busy. I don't have time to play games. And I really appreciate short games, right? Like, again, oh, it's the best. Sybil or uh, Florence, like very, very quick games. Or even games like Stardew Valley, which you can like play a little bit of and then come back to. Yeah. I really appreciate that. And Overwatch then, as well is good for that because you have yeah, you know, yeah. jump on 15, 20 minutes, you're done. Fortnite as well, Dead by Daylight, any of these online games you can play really quickly and just love it. love it so much. But I also did this thing, which is the complete opposite of that, where... Last year, one of my friends was like, hey, I think you would really like Persona. And I was like, okay. And I tried playing Persona 5 and I ended up becoming obsessed with it. And it's like a 130 hour game. (laughs) It's like the exact opposite of what I've gotten accustomed to playing. And because I only play for like half an hour a day or whatever, it took me like the entire year to play through Persona 5. (laughs) But um, yeah, I don't know. I still make time to play games. I think it's really important for us to to play games and be aware of what is out there and kind of always be critical and analytical about what you're playing and stuff. Um, but yeah, I don't know. That's <laughs> yeah. Uh, I need to go back to persona five. Like oh, I was so, so excited about it because it just looks so spectacular. It's and wonderful. I think I got through to, it's not the desert level, but you know what I mean? There's yeah, like yeah, a big yeah. pyramid and stuff. And I don't know why I stopped there, and but I stopped for like a week or two. And when I came back to it, it was like, oh, I don't know what's going on anymore. Oh, no. Uh, That's but fair. I'm, I'm sure I can just figure it out and get back into it because I was really enjoying it. Yeah, I loved it. I haven't been obsessed with a game like like that in, I don't know, it's been a long time. I, I loved it so much. And I like, I, I finished the game and immediately started replaying it. <laughs> like, it was just like, this game is so good. And I just like, didn't expect it. it really because is. again, it's a really long game. It's a very long investment to play Persona games. And uh, I just wasn't expecting that. Yeah, Did you know. play any of the any of the others? 
no first one my first one playing yeah and everyone's like oh you would really like three there's a lot of deathy stuff in three and i was like i just can't right now i just can't commit to another persona game i don't have time <laughs> I, I tried really hard actually like for some reason like three is a game that's like really stuck with me like i, I often find myself thinking about it and wanting to play it. and before um persona 5 came out like probably maybe 18 months ago I just, I really had this kind of really serious urge to play Persona, so I dug out my PlayStation and I started playing it and just the loading times just ruined it for me because, because, because just because it's old and as as you're saying, you know, everyone's quite busy and I really wanted to play it, but there's like, I think I spent about an hour playing through it and I'm probably exaggerating, but it felt like half of that was just loading because especially because it's an older console, like every, between every transition you're loading and it just yeah. becomes like this is insane. How did I play? But I played it for hundreds of hours when it originally came out. Simpler times, Gabby. Yeah. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. Um, I I feel like we've covered all sorts of good stuff. Is there anything that kind of hasn't come up that you wanted to mention for whatever reason? I don't think so. No, you had a lot of good questions um, that you gave me earlier, but I yeah, I don't know. I nothing nothing i want to talk about in particular so just whatever <laughs> well then take this opportunity then to uh to tell people where they can find you online if you would like people to find you online uh, yeah. or where they can get your games and things like that sure so uh you can learn more about mortician's tale by going to morticianstale.com um it's also available on steam humble and itch.io for pc and mac if you want to check that out um i'm on twitter at gabdar uh <laughs> what else um the play dead podcast if you want to listen to my podcast is on itunes and stitcher and google play and, and anywhere else that you can get your podcasts and uh i think that's it <laughs> cool was that was that okay yeah. for you gabby was that fun no it was fun that was really good i'm sorry if i kind of like rambled or just kind of like um a whole bunch because this is I think the show I for the that. ramble don't be afraid of the dark it's just your imagination, nighttime fascination. Turn on your night light, cause things aren't what they seem. Turn on your night light, switch on that magic beam. Turn on your night light, you'll get a big surprise, cause things will change.